I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. In the summer of 2016, a husband and wife were killed inside of their own homes in Houston, Texas. Dawn and Antonio Armstrong were happily married with three children, when their idyllic life fell apart. Who killed Don and Antonio? Was it an intruder who had a vendetta against the couple? Or did the killer originate from inside the home? I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library. Let's analyze the curious murders of Don and Antonio Armstrong. Antonio Armstrong Sr. and his wife Dawn, who are both 42, were the picture-perfect couple. They put down roots in southwest Houston, Texas, where they raised their all-American, faith-centered family. Antonio was a former football player for Texas A&M, the Canadian Football League, and the NFL, playing for the Miami Dolphins in the 1990s. After his football career, he became a motivational speaker and a pastor at his mother's church. He also co-owned a local gym with his wife, Don Armstrong. Don was an entrepreneur who owned a small chain of local gyms, and she often volunteered or drove her kids back and forth to practice. Don was proud of her 18-year marriage, and she always put her family first. On July 24, 2016, she posted a picture of their wedding day, writing, quote, This guy is my everything. He completes me in every way. He's my best friend, and after almost two decades, it's the simple things that make us happy. End quote. The Armstrongs were a family of five. They had three children, two boys and one girl. Their eldest son, named Joshua, was Don's son from a previous relationship. The second oldest was named Antonio Jr., and the youngest, a girl, was named Kara. The family seemed close-knit, with pictures of them on Facebook enjoying vacations at the beach, riding in expensive cars, and appreciating the exclusive private school education they gave their kids. They spent their weekends at Antonio Sr.'s mother's church, and weekdays were spent pursuing the daily grind, from the children's sports events or extracurricular activities to managing their local gym chain. To everyone close to the family, the Armstrongs were practically perfect. They had smart and talented kids, a strong and devoted marriage, a prospering business, and an engaging social life. But everything would come crashing down on July 29, 2016 
when Don and Antonio Armstrong were found dead in their own beds. On July 28, 2016, the alarm was set in the home of Don and Antonio Armstrong. It was around 9.52 p.m., and everyone in the house had decided that they were heading towards bed, so they set the alarm at stay. This tells the alarm system that everyone in the house will be staying in the house for the rest of the night, that the alarm should only go off if someone tries to leave or break in. Don and Antonio Sr. headed to their master bedroom on the second floor for the rest of the night. Kayra, their 12-year-old daughter, went to the opposite side of the house on the second floor to her bedroom for the night. And Antonio Jr., also known as AJ, went to his bedroom, which was located on the third floor of the home, a loft area that was converted into a bedroom. With everyone tucked in and beginning to drift into sleep, the Armstrong family felt safe and secure in their home because the alarm system was set and every door and window in their house was secured or locked. The front door was locked and monitored and the back door was locked on the first floor. So was the door to the garage. All the windows were closed and locked on the first and third floors. The only windows that were never monitored were the second floor windows, but that's because they are about 14 feet from the ground. So their house was pretty safe, and if anything should happen, the alarm system was ready to alert the police. At 1.40 a.m., July 29, 2016, A.J. Armstrong called 911. He told the operator that he heard shots in his parents' room and he was hiding in the closet. Police arrived minutes later and set up a perimeter around the house. Based on the 911 call, police expect that they may be arriving at a dangerous scene where there may be a crime currently taking place, like a home invasion or robbery, but the front door is still locked. They look around for forced entry, but there is none. The windows don't appear to be broken. AJ and the 911 operator were still talking when police arrived at the scene, and the operator is feeding the police information about what is happening inside the home. Police want AJ and his sister to come out of the house so that everyone is safe, but they can't get in because the doors are locked and the alarm system is on. So before the police can enter, AJ must disarm the security system, which he does. Then the police rush AJ and Kara out. When police enter the home and carefully walk into the master bedroom, they walk into a shocking and even puzzling crime scene. In the master bedroom, where husband and wife slept, if you were facing their bed, you would find Dawn on the left side and Antonio Sr. on the right side with pillows covering their heads. After removing the pillows, police discovered that Dawn was shot twice in the head and Antonio Sr. was shot one time in the head but was still fighting for his life. Antonio Sr. was rushed to the hospital, but unfortunately he died from his wounds. Back at the Armstrong home, police begin searching the home for any sign of an intruder, but they search every corner of the house and no intruder is hiding out, and there appears to be no sign of a break-in either. The house is the same way it was at 9.52 p.m. when the alarm was set at stay. The 911 call made by AJ makes it seem like he could hear an intruder in the home or that he at least felt like his life was in danger and he needed to hide before police arrived. And when the Houston Police Department arrived at the scene, they began to learn information about the house immediately, and what they found is mysterious. The Houston Police Department makes three interesting discoveries while searching the Armstrong home. Three discoveries that would shift the course of the investigation. The first discovery that they make is that the alarm system never went off. The alarm never sounded before or after Don and Antonio Sr. were murdered. 
There were no broken windows or any other signs of forced entry. And even if the killer had a key to the front door or any other door, the alarm system should have sounded as soon as the person entered the premises because the alarm was set at stay, meaning no one was supposed to leave or enter the house undetected. Sure, this discovery is strange, but the police keep searching the house for other clues, anything that could help them understand what happened that night. The second thing police unearth in their search of the house is located in the kitchen. In the kitchen on the first floor of the home, police find the gun that was used to kill Don and Antonio Sr. They notice that this gun came from inside the house because it was registered to Antonio Sr. So the same gun that was owned by Antonio Armstrong Sr. was also used to kill his wife and himself. But what makes this discovery stranger is that the gun is still inside the house on the kitchen counter, a floor below the crime scene. And there's more. The gun is sitting on the kitchen counter with a note tied to it. In scribbled handwriting, the note says, quote, I've been watching you for some time, end quote. Everything that the police finds feels off to them. Why would the intruder leave the gun behind that they used to shoot Don and Antonio Sr.? Also, if this was an intruder, wouldn't they come with their own weapons, not use a hidden gun that the victims owned? Unless maybe the killer knew the couple and knew where the gun was hidden? But even then, why not take the murder weapon with them or dispose of it? Also, why would they leave a note after the fact for people they intended to kill? People that they would have wanted dead. It would make more sense if the note was left before the attack because it was clearly directed at the couple, not police or anyone else. What would be the purpose of leaving a cryptic note for two dead people who won't be alive to read it? At this point, the police begin to suspect that the killer didn't come from outside of the house. And when they move to search the second floor of the home, they uncover something that might support this theory. When they search the second floor, they notice something strange. They discover a hole in the ceiling and a bullet in the carpet. You may be thinking, it's not necessarily strange to discover a bullet at a crime scene where the two victims were shot. But it is strange to the police because the bullet and the hole in the ceiling are found outside of the master bedroom, outside of the crime scene. Police take note of this random bullet hole in the ceiling and the bullet in the carpet, and they continue to search the house. And in each room they search, they still cannot find an intruder or any sign that the intruder left the premises. HPD investigates further, and what they conclude is that the killer had to have come from inside of the home. To them, the circumstances surrounding the murder of Don and Antonio Sr. were evident. How else do you explain all the doors being locked, no signs of forced entry through windows or doors, and the alarm never sounding off? How else do you explain that random cryptic note left inside the kitchen tied to the murder weapon? And how else do you explain that mysterious and solitary bullet hole on the second floor? Police review evidence and test evidence, but they realize that if they are considering the killer to be from inside the house, their killer's DNA would obviously be in the house where they live. So how could they prove that the killer was from inside the home if it's totally natural for their DNA to be there? So police turn their attention to the alarm system. When the alarm was set to stay, the motion detector still detected motion, and the alarm's computer would receive a notice when the motion detectors detected movement. There were two motion detectors in the Armstrong home. 
There was one to cover the downstairs area, including the entrance from the garage, stairs to the second floor, and the front door. And the second motion detector was positioned on the second floor. It covered the hallway outside the master bedroom to detect movement up the stairs and motion at the opposite end of the hallway near the bottom of the stairs that led up to the third floor. Based on the alarm system and its motion detection capabilities, the alarm told police that the killer came from upstairs. At 1.09 a.m., the second floor motion detector went off, but no other motion detectors or alarms went off during this time. Police believed that when A.J. came downstairs to the second floor from his bedroom on the third floor, that the motion detector captured his movement at 1.09 a.m. At 1.25 a.m., the downstairs motion detectors went off, but again, no other alarms went off to indicate an intruder. So, police believed that A.J. walked from the second floor down to the first floor for a very specific reason. Remember the note and gun that were found on the kitchen counter? Well, police believe that at 1.25 a.m., A.J. walked down to the kitchen to place the gun and note there. And remember the random placement of those pillows on Don and Antonio? Well, the police believed that A.J. may have put the pillows over his parents' heads so that he wouldn't have to see what he did to them. At 1.40 a.m., A.J. made the 911 call. So police began to question what happened between 1.09 a.m. when the first motion detector went off and 1.40 a.m. when A.J. made the 911 call. What happened in those 31 minutes? The police believe that A.J. Armstrong used those 31 minutes to cover up his crime. Hours after the HPD searched the Armstrong home, A.J. Armstrong, at 16 years old, was charged with killing his mother and father. After his arrest, A.J. spent eight months in juvenile jail. But after turning 17, A.J. was certified to stand trial as an adult and bonded out of jail in March 2017. The case lasted for three and a half years. During that time, there were more than two dozen court appearances followed by a month-long trial in April 2019. While AJ was in juvenile jail and making court appearances, his peers were attending prom and applying for colleges. They were on the path of a normal high schooler, but AJ was heading toward an unknown and undetermined fate. His family support was unwavering during this time. According to ABC 13 reporting for Houston, AJ's inner circle is fiercely protective of him. His grandmothers, childhood friends, cousins, aunts, and girlfriends stood with him week after week outside the courtroom. And although his family fully supports him, there are people out there that believe AJ is a cold-blooded killer and was entirely capable of killing his own parents. During the trial of AJ Armstrong, the defense and prosecution paint stark images of AJ. The prosecution shows AJ as a troubled teen who caused his parents immense strife, while the defense painted AJ as a goofy and loving son who was wrongfully charged for his parents' murders. In the prosecution's opening statements, they suggested that the evidence speaks for itself. They claimed that the lack of forced entry and the fact that the alarm system never sounded is proof that the killer was someone who lived inside the house. They suggested that although the physical evidence, like DNA, can't fully show AJ's culpability, the other circumstances surrounding the case do, like the gun with the note in the kitchen, the motion sensors, and the bullet hole coming through the ceiling on the second level, which is below AJ's bedroom. However, the defense argues that the Houston Police Department had already made up their mind about who the killer was, and they were hyper-focused on AJ before any evidence was collected or tested. They argue that the HPD created confirmation bias within 11 minutes of investigating the crime scene 
and they then shaped the evidence to fit their opinion. The defense presents evidence that AJ was not the person who killed Don and Antonio. In the trial, the defense informs the jury that there were no fingerprints matching AJ on the weapon or the shells, and that there were no fingerprints or DNA matching AJ on anything related to the gun, from the magazine to the handle. They also suggested that the prosecution had some serious holes in their theory. They cite that the lead homicide detective in the case said that he examined all the sinks and they were bone dry. There was no sign that AJ washed his hands of blood. They also revealed that there was no evidence of gunshot residue anywhere on AJ. It's also important to mention that the HPD claimed that Don and Antonio Sr. were shot at close range. However, there was no blood anywhere on AJ. There was also no evidence of blood in AJ's room. The defense presents another theory to the jury, a theory that could cast reasonable doubt. According to AJ's defense team, a doctor who had a friendly relationship with Antonio Sr. found a note on her car when she returned home from a trip out of the country. The note said, we are watching you, just like the note found in the Armstrong kitchen. The doctor's boyfriend named Tony claimed he also saw a similar note at the gym he was building. The note was written in dust on the window, and just like the other notes, it said, we are watching you. And all of this happened while AJ was in jail. The defense argued that it would have been impossible for AJ to have written these notes while he was in jail. And if we're assuming that the person who wrote these notes also wrote the note found in the Armstrong home, the defense also argues that AJ couldn't have written the note found in the kitchen on July 29, 2016, despite what police initially suspected. But the prosecution rebuts the defense's arguments and suggests that AJ simply covered up his crimes and that there's proof that AJ Armstrong was at fault for his parents' murders. Although the defense argued that AJ was innocent because there was no DNA evidence, the prosecution put experts on the stand to testify about the evidence that was collected at the scene. And although much of the evidence can't be traced back to AJ, they claim that that doesn't necessarily exclude him as a killer. This wasn't the only argument from the prosecution. They also provided text messages between AJ and his parents, messages that the prosecution claimed point to a strained relationship between AJ and his parents. The prosecution entered 200 pages of text messages out of 100,000 pages of phone records. That's four hours of court time examining the messages that were sent between them, messages that the prosecution believed pointed to his motive for killing his parents. According to the prosecution, these text messages showed an angry teen willing to go to the extreme to get what he wanted. In many of the text messages, Don expresses how angry she was becoming about AJ's grades, while his dad tried a different tactic by boosting his confidence. I have linked in the show notes an article where you can read these text messages if you want to follow along. Here are some of the messages. Text message from Antonio. You can't feel hopeless. You have to believe in yourself like we believe in you. AJ, really bro. I just don't get it. Zeros? Missing assignments? Emails from teachers? I am tired. Really tired. Nothing left to say. Text message from Don. AJ is starting to lie. I am so disappointed. He doesn't care about anything. He is a bold-faced liar, like I have never seen before. As the 2016 school year progressed, AJ's grades dropped and he was even caught ditching tutorials. At the end of 2016, AJ was kicked out of Kincaid High School for bad grades. The frustrated text messages from Don and Antonio continued. The couple said they were unhappy with AJ breaking curfew, spending too much money, and possibly smoking weed in the house. 
eight weeks before AJ's parents were murdered. He sent them a text message saying, quote, I'm not even going to try and say sorry for everything because right now I know it doesn't mean anything to you guys. I know I need a major life change right now, end quote. In another message, Don responds, We gave you all the best we had. We wanted the best for you. We provided the best education, bought you a great car to celebrate you. We tried to be open with you and what was important to you. And all you did is lie to us, scheme behind our backs, chose to piss on all we tried to do, beyond disappointed. I will never understand why you are a liar and do not work hard in school. You don't want to be right or do good. I am so heartbroken, but it is what it is. The defense argued that this was a small portion of a larger amount of text messages that showed a loving relationship between AJ and his parents. But to the prosecution, this was proof that AJ had motive to kill his parents. During the trial, the prosecution played a recording of the 911 call that AJ made on the early morning of July 29, 2016. The prosecution played an enhanced version of the call, in which captions were added so the jury could read what happened as well as hear what happened, because some of the audio is inaudible. The state admitted that it added what it thought was the correct transcription. In the call, which lasted 12 minutes, AJ Armstrong said he heard shots fired in his parents' bedroom. The call starts with AJ on the line telling the 911 dispatcher about the shots. He also mentions that his parents' door is cracked open, although it's usually closed. I'm going to read an excerpt of the transcript from the 911 call that was played in court. So the 911 dispatcher says, Can you hear anything else? AJ Armstrong says, No, there's nothing. I don't know. The 911 dispatcher says, Okay, did it sound like a handgun, rifle, or shotgun? AJ says, I'm not good with guns, but I guess, I guess like a, I don't know, I'm 15 or something like that. I know my dad has a gun underneath the, God, where does he keep his gun? Um, I think he keeps it in his drawer, right next to his bed. AJ also told the dispatcher he was in his bedroom on the third floor, hiding in a closet, and that his parents' room was on the second floor. Four minutes into the call, AJ can be heard saying, How did you get into our house? And seven minutes later, he says, it's all my fault. Next week, in part two, I will detail the rest of the trial and the many statements of those who took the stand for the prosecution and the defense. The defense will offer other theories for who killed Don and Antonio. You will get to hear AJ's side of the story, and you will finally learn the jury's verdict. If you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Lost Crimes Library, you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Remember, sharing is caring, so make sure to share this podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any new episodes. This episode was written and hosted by Nisa Anderson. It was produced by Channing Tab and Nisa Anderson.